What up now? They bring you enough so you have to come back. If you save enough and like I can leave for six months, they were like, oh man, <laughs> like he's gone now. They'll pay you enough so you come back on Monday. <laughs> yeah, I tell people, I was like, I'm a terrible employee. I take off when I want to take off. I show up when I want to show up. I do good work when I'm there, but I decided I'm not going to work on Friday and I didn't show up at work on Friday. I didn't ask. I just didn't show up. <laughs> we interrupt this record to bring you a special bulletin. Tweet Talk episode 73. It's lit. Woo, it's hot. Hot, hot. Hot. This podcast is brought to you in part by investattheteam.com. We have created the official merch of Generational Wealth. You have to shift your mindset from employee to you can't fire me, Bob. Boss, always remember, no sacrifice, no reward. Hood Estates, exclusive collection, available at investattheteam.com. Now back to the world's greatest podcast. That's good. Are we on the air? Tweet what it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Yes! Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Meganer himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. Seventy-three. Yeah, man, we've been. It is. Tokes is a basketball fan. Who who should we name this episode after for the number three? That's not Allen Iverson and not Steve Francis. Uh, we did and not a CP three. What about AD? Ah, there we go. Episode Anthony Davis. I didn't know three. Number three. I thought it was like number four or something. But that makes you sense. Know, I wouldn't have remembered that if, it, but the LeBron and AD's number together is three two three. Shout okay. out to the Lakers. I don't think we've actually recorded an episode since they won a championship or maybe we have nevertheless shout out to the los angeles lakers on their championship and also shout out in advance to the los angeles dodgers and their world series championship shout out to kobe man and just doing it for the mamba tonight we have a special guest tokes ogan yoku also known as royalty also known as dean too fresh What's going on, good people? Good to be here. Um, yes, I'm Tokes Ogunyoku, uh, Charles Lime brother, 15 years in the banking world and MBA in business management, BA in finance. Um, you know, heading towards the entrepreneurial route as my, my as well. Um, hopefully, going to have some content coming for you guys. I will be partnering with uh, with Todd to to put out here and. You know, to you know, start using my Twitter for for myself. To <laughs> I got I got some things to say. I keep I keep it low key because of the bank, but you know, hmm. I, I already know where I'm headed with it. The exit strategies in play. So here I am. That's the crazy cool, thing. Of, the crazy thing about life is people always look at me and like, oh, he's so cool. He's this. He's that. And I'm like, everybody that I know is on this level. <laughs> so y'all just they just they just don't tweet they don't post they just be low key with it so um you guys are in for a treat Tokes has a ton of success prior branch manager probably like one of the youngest and only african-american branch managers um he's had some success super early uh, but he's still having success homeowner in los angeles with it which is really difficult to do uh, most people they're just like f california we out and Tokes is like i'm gonna just get a house <laughs> <laughs> and he's positions himself to do it in such a cool way. Um, I don't know if he wants to share this, but he bought the house. He was able to have them rehab the house for him. And he's a single man. 
and he has enough space to to now bring in other people to live with him and pay him rent. And now he's living probably damn near financially free from that. And he still has more space. So he's like, what else am I going to do with this space? I'm going to create a gym. I'm going to create a, a, a studio. So people are doing dope stuff. They just don't post it. So I'm going to bring them on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I bought my house in 2017. Uh, you know, the first time I was actually looking for property was in 2012. Um, didn't have a really great experience with the, the real estate agents I had. Um, but I, you know, I kind of got an idea of what I was looking for. I kind of got an idea of pricing and things of that nature. And then when I decided again to look, um, in 2017, um, you know, the funny thing was I wasn't planning to buy. I was planning just to look, um, I was planning just to, you know, get an idea of what's out there. I called my uh, sister-in-law, who's a real estate agent. I called her, I think it was June 27th. And I closed escrow August 27th. So it was just that quick because when I saw the deal, I'm like, wait, I can't pass up this deal. Three bedrooms, two baths in Los Angeles for under $300,000. Um, <laughs> so it, it has a garage. So I have parking I don't got to worry about. You know, laundry. I actually have two, uh, two kitchens in the, in the place. Um, it's set up almost like a duplex, but it's in a, it's in a townhome. Exactly. So I, I rent out one unit, the other unit I've turned into my office slash studio, turned the garage into a gym. And I, I remember I said this on a long time ago, um, but I said, I want to make money out of both rooms and that's what's going on now. I, ke- I keep my vending machine, uh, inventory in the room with the, that's my office and my studio. And I'm just trying to maximize my space. But then, you know, I also think about, man, I'm not always in this space and I think I can do more with it. And, you know, it was a it was a blessing to be able to get the house because now it's like, you know, this I I had a dream to be in L.A. since I was a kid. Um, Funny story is because of West Side Connection. (laughs) But the rap group, (laughs) the rap group, (laughs) me being African, um, you know, I was born in Sacramento, moved all over California, but it was always a minority. And I wanted to, I saw West Side Connection. I'm like, there's black people in LA. That's where I want to go. <laughs> and so come around full circle, that happened. Um, and partly how that happened, as Charles was saying, I was a branch manager. Um, so I, start, I started my banking career in college, actually. Um, I was probably like the first person to like have a stable job in college out of the group. Um, and it was it was by coincidence, in a sense, because um, I was working at Nike. Nike let go of me on some BS. And then I worked at a car dealership. And at the car dealership, I realized, man, I work a lot of hours. And the hours was just uncontrollably long, 50 hours a week minimum. Mm. Um, weekends were 12 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday. So imagine working 22 hours just on your weekends. I had no life. I said, I want to go somewhere where they close early. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a job at the bank. Uh, I worked there as a teller for three years. Um, when I graduated, they, were trying to, they weren't trying to give me the promotion that I deserved. Um, I went over to Wells Fargo, um, started as a credit manager, which was really just like a salesperson, to be honest. It sounds real cool, but I'm not going to say the job was really that cool. Um, I went from credit manager that I moved into the personal banking route. Um, I did that for a few years and I've had to face a lot of, a lot of discrimination, a lot of hold, people holding me back, but I did, I just kept pers- persevering. I knew what I had to offer. And I also like would watch and see 
what my manager was doing. I always thought, what would I do different? Um, I went into management. I became an assistant manager. I There was a manager training program. I was valedictorian of the manager training program. Um, I was the only black person in the program. Um, started working in Laguna Niguel. Um, had great success there. Then I moved into a larger branch in Cerritos. I was there for about four years as a branch manager. I was ranked top 3% of the nation and finished my MBA at the same time. And I bought my place at the same time. Um, but it was all because of the things that I was doing that was aligning myself and just trying to stay focused on the purpose of keep pushing forward and don't let anything hold me back. And then I hit these goals and now I'm over at Chase in the business banking department. And, you know, now I look at, uh, you know, Charles and I see all the things that Charles is doing. It's like, man, I see what's possible. Um, like Charles said, like all of our friends are doing dope things. And I think that when we really choose ourselves, we can really unlock our talent. We, you know, the, the sky is the limit and there's nothing that can stop us. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just here to, you know, to rub off and, but learn as much as I can as well, because uh, everything that's been going on, everything I see Charles is doing has been an inspiration to me. And I see it's an inspiration to a lot of people. I see, you know, Charles's name is in rooms where I know these people, Charles knows these people, and we're talking about Charles with Charles products. <laughs> so I'm just like, man, this is so cool. Um, so yeah, happy to be here. That's, that's my background. Yeah. That's cool. Welcome to the show, man. This Thanks. is Tweet Talk, the Black Wealth Podcast, where every episode, me and uh, my co-host Charles talk about black building black wealth every episode, and we dissect tweets talking about it. Mm-hmm. And you can follow us on Twitter. Follow me, Raphael, at Work Money Life. Follow Charles at Todd Billion, and you can follow Tokes at Royalty that underscore R A W. Y-A-L-T. All right. So make sure you give us all a follow and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. So I was going to, now you just laid out how your journey through banking. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question. You say you were like the only black person in in the management class. Now, when you go to like functions, like networking functions in banking, you find that you're one of the few black people in the room. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so just to go back to when I was the branch manager, for example. So when I first became a branch manager, it was in the Orange County district. And, you know, I was just so excited to get the position that, you know, I didn't even think about, you know, where I was working and whatnot. And obviously this is a huge company. So there has to be more than just me. I'm, I wasn't even thinking about that. And I remember being in the room the first day, uh, it was a manager conference, 150 managers there. There was there was two other black female managers. Uh, one was a service manager. So she was a branch manager. One was a branch manager. Um, and then I was the only black male manager. And I didn't even realize that at first. I'm just, I was there happy, excited. I'm like, let me look back and see why I know. I look back and I'm like, oh, oh I see it. I see it. <laughs> there's, there's a common theme here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but then going to the functions, I feel like I've always been able to get along with everybody anywhere I've ever, ever been in my life. So I never, I never even thought about, I'm the only black person here. I'm just like, I'm here and they need to know who I am. Um, you know, I always, always go with, I would have reason to talk. Um, you know, my name would be brought up because of the success I was having in my branches. Um, when I was in, uh, when I was in Cerritos, I took that branch from performing around 50% production to performing at 150%, 200% production within six months. Um, I promoted 100% of my staff, actually more than 100% because Hmm. I kept promoting people, um, had a staff of 22 people 
And I think in the time period that I was there, there's probably about 30 something promotions. Um, nice, nice. So at these events that I'll go to, you know, even if it was, I was the only one there, they're asking me, what am I doing? How am I doing it? How did you get this person to, to perform? And how did you get this person to respond? Um, and really what I think it was, is just, you got to care for people, <laughs> you know, you, you care for people, you want to see them succeed. Um, and that's what I always put as their forefront for their motivation is their success. It wasn't, ne- it was never about me. It was, I want to see you perform. I've been in your shoes. I've been in your position and this isn't it. I know how much money you make. And I know this is not where this is the money that you want to make. So how do we get you to where you want to go? Mm. So that's how I would kind of motivate my people because I made it more about them and not about you need to get me these numbers. That's how I was always managed. You need to get me these numbers or else. And it's like, man, I'm trying, <laughs> you know. But when it came to the, my people, it was like, how can I help you get to where you want to go? Where do you live right now? Do you want to live there? How can I get you to where you want to go? Do you, you want to buy a house? Are you ready? Do you have credit yourself? I mean, the crazy thing about banking is that some bankers don't even know about credit. So they will sell you a credit product and not know about it themselves. Um, and, you know, so I'm teaching them. So I wouldn't just teach them how to sell the product. I'll teach them to understand the product and how to utilize it for their own lives. And then now they can go and talk to customers comfortably about this. So I think all these things contributed to my success in the banking industry. Um, and then it also they brought me in those rooms where it's like, yeah, I'm the only like when I was at the uh, Circle of Stars event, the top 3% of the nation, um, there was two black people there, me and my assistant manager. We were both top 3% of the nation, but <laughs> we were there because of, like I said, the philosophy of caring about other people more than ourselves. And so people are asking us, how do you guys do it? How do you guys do it? And, you know, th- that's what it was. That's cool. That's cool. Anything on that, on that Charles, real quick? Um, so I know that Tokes is a, he lifts weights, he stays in shape. And I have this theory that how you do anything is how you do everything. And so my question is, how has been somebody who lifts weights translated into professional success? Because I feel like there's a correlation and I feel like that mindset has to transfer over into other areas outside of just exercise. Um, Absolutely. Um, So I think with lifting weights is you have to have the mindset of you're not looking about where you're at right now. Because I think if I would ever looked at where I was at, where I first started, I was one the second weakest person on the basketball team, surprisingly, when it came to like when I first started bench pressing. I was like 105 like <laughs> type of thing. And then but I didn't look at where I was at. I looked at where I wanted to go and I kept I, kept, I stayed focused and stayed true to the process. Um, and then with the process, it's always once you get to that goal, wherever the case is, see the way I always did it with working out. Um, I would max out. So I'd do my max weight that I can hit one time. I had a calculated workout afterwards, 70%, 10 reps for a week, 80%, eight reps for a week, 90%, six reps for a week. Next week I max. So I'm always getting stronger because I'm always doing this. I just continue to push myself. So then when I set that new max, then my reps change, the weight changes. And I keep doing that same process over and over and over and over. But it's the same thing when it comes to work. It's like, my goal was when I first got to my first branch was well when I was let's say when I was assistant manager let's even say even personal banker my goal as a personal banker at first was I wanted to be able to bonus then it's like okay I hit a bonus you know and I hit the bonus by learning all the aspects the same thing with weightlifting learning all the aspects of weightlifting learning proper form learning 
you know, what muscle groups I'm going to hit, why I'm going to hit these muscle groups. Um, you know, so I'm, when it came to banking, it's like, okay, I need to learn the products. I need to learn why I'm selling these products. I need to know who these products benefit. And then it's like, okay, now I got the fundamentals down. I can now go ahead and, um, you know, I, I set a new goal. I don't want to just bonus. I want to bonus at gold level. So mm-hmm. now that I have the fundamentals, I now I know I can calculate what do I need to do to get gold? What I, what does my daily production need to be? And so then I was like, okay, now I hit gold. Okay, now I want to be the best in lending. So that way I'm standing out over in, in this in this category. Or I want to train new people under me to show that not only can I do it, because if you can do it, you should be able to teach it. And if you can teach it, then if you can multiply yourself and your efforts, then you can lead. So it was just always about setting a new goal, setting a new benchmark. Once I hit one benchmark, it wasn't about being complacent. Complacent. Even once I hit a branch manager position, it wasn't like, okay, I hit a branch manager position, I'm happy. This was the thing that they didn't realize about what my goals were. Like. I talked to them before I became a branch manager, but I was like, okay, I'm a branch manager. I got to skip a couple steps. Since uh, there was five level branches, I started at the third level and I told them I was going to be successful. And I was very successful my first year. And then I said, okay, where's my next position? They said, we're not going to give you the next position. You got to stay here for a couple more years. I said, no, I don't. <laughs> And I applied out. <laughs> I applied he out. Did. That's very true. Wow. I got, and I got the position in Cerritos. So I went from managing a team of 10 to managing this team of 22. Now, wait, is this the same, um, the same bank, the same? Same bank. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. Wait, it's it's a different branch. Okay. My yeah. Different branch, different district. So the way it worked was I found out that within the district, they can hold you out. If you apply outside the district, it's like applying for a new job. So when they told me no, I said, well, and stop me from getting this new job over here. How long? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How long after you got the that first branch manager did you apply out? Literally probably 12, 12 months and five days. Okay. Gotcha. So once I put in my, my one year commitment, I said, was, I, want, I, I told them there was a branch that opened up in uh, Newport Beach. That was a flagship branch. I said, I want that branch. They said, oh, we talked about that, but you know, we, we feel like you have to get another branch that's bigger, but not quite that big. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. So I, I applied um, all over the U.S. actually. I was from San Jose to New York, San Diego, and then Cerrito. I mean, I, I started interviewing for all of them because my numbers spoke for themselves. But then when I got the Cerritos position, I was like, well, I don't got to move that far. I like the area. You know, I went based off of my terms. And then they had everything I wanted. They had a financial advisor. They had a private banker. Uh, personal banker too. So this was like a flagship branch in the Cerritos area. So um, once I got there, you know, I duplicated the process and then, you know, I, that, that I said, okay, they, they, they told me that they wanted me to see me at, you know, some of these awards, these are major award things. And then I got to the top award that they have there. So I said, what's my next position? They said, oh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> um, you know, I guess I did it faster than they expected. Um, so after some time, I saw, okay, they're kind of BSing. I left. And then, and that was the thing. It's like, I know my worth. You cannot keep me and tell me that I can only be a branch manager. So then I moved into Chase into business banking because, um, you know, I saw the opportunity, but then also I, I was getting calls from recruiters and they were like, hey, you know, or like headhunters. And they're like, hey, you have a great resume. You do so many different crazy things. We see we're really impressed. You have business banking experience. And I'm like, well, I manage a business banker, but I've never personally been a business banker. It's not on my resume. Like, oh, man, well, you know, there's so many positions out there, but you got to get that business experience um, under you. 
So when I saw the opportunity to go to Chase with that, I did. And I've been there now for the last two years. Um, and I think now the, the best thing about this experience is what I have learned about business and learning how businesses could, you know, where to, I'm talking about how to start to where to, where to grow, how to scale um, businesses that have been successful. I'm asking them, hey, how'd you get here? And that's the, the coolest thing I think that I've learned. It's like, the, what I've learned the last two years is probably more valuable than what I've learned in all of college because I'm talking to actual successful business owners who, who've done things, who sustained their business for 30 years, who are multimillionaires. And it's like, how'd you get here? Now that I have this knowledge, now it's about packaging it, selling it, because that's the, I think that's what the next step is. That's cool. I dig it. So, Raphael, mm-hmm. let's get to the show. Let's get to the show. It's called Tweet Talk, and we talk about tweets. And this week's show, as always, brought to you by Todd Capital. You'll find all the courses and the merch and the bags at toddcapital.co. I'll find the links in the bio. And also brought to you by Your Body Company. Links for that in the bio also. So, Charles, you had a tweet where you said, people like you more when you're working towards something, not when you have it. That's funny because um, it's a Drake line, so it's not... Not too deep there, but it's, I, I've talked about this on this show, but I always talk about how like there was a side of Twitter that used to like really be cool with me while we were hustling up and we we're getting out the mud and we we're grinding and promoting and advertising and getting our homes. And then when they saw things take off, they saw too many RTs of, of success of the Thai capital, this and Thai capital, that then all of a sudden it was time to attack me. So um, first and foremost, I tell people that those people who, who showed themselves during that time are probably people you should have been away from in the beginning, because those are the people that if they're not going to help you get there, if they're not going to hold you back, they're holding you back by default because they're not helping you. And so if you don't do something that you can do, you're essentially crabbing somebody out. It's like, if I can push you forward and I just got my arms crossed, I'm, I'm pulling you back. I'm not helping you get there. And so people will say, well, I didn't hate on you. I didn't slander you, but you also didn't do anything that was productive towards my success. And so what's the difference? I didn't get the success. And so um, I don't really hold any resentment or ill will towards them. I just had to block and go. And the thing is, is you block and you grow as well because it allows you to just focus on your processes and focus on the people that need to be around what you need to be around as opposed to trying to appease everybody and trying to please everybody and even caring what they have to say. So I deleted the burner account. I was like, the, the best thing that I can do, because they feed off of that. If somebody wants to piss you off and then you get pissed off, they feel like they won. But the best way to show them that they didn't win is to not even acknowledge them. Like you don't even exist. And so that's where I am. It's like, I just, I don't even think that they don't exist to me. People retweet them and they get muted too. You retweet somebody who I don't rock with, you're going to get blocked right along with them. And that's just to protect my peace. Cause I've already said I own one loyalty and that is to people with the last name Oglesby. And yeah. Tokes, what do you think about that? I mean, what I think experienced that? that? I've definitely experienced it. Um, you know, when I, when I, I would say when I became a branch manager, I experienced that a lot. Um, when I was in Laguna Niguel, you know, when I was, when I was on my way up in, in, the, in the ranks in the process, I had a lot of support, a lot of praise. And when I went to Laguna Niguel, um, as good as I did, I was investigated, I want to say around eight to 10 times. I was probably the most by the book banker that there was at Wells Fargo. I was there through all the crazy stuff that was going on. Um, and I never took part of it. I understood how to sell. And I also 
wouldn't want to sell the wrong way to a person because I care about that person who's sitting across from me. So when I'm getting investigated eight times, 10 times, I'm getting investigated for a one missing signature out of 200 accounts. When we have a threshold of 90, you need 90% captured. My capture rate is 98%. Why am I getting investigated? And then I'm getting investigated for a loan that someone, a customer, not only did they sign for, but they paid off. So it, I can't be doing something wrong, but I'm being investigated because some the other people are saying, well, his numbers are too high. Mm. Why are my numbers too high? So because you see me becoming successful, you think that I have to be doing something shady. So now you're trying to pull me back or you're trying to find something wrong with what I'm doing. And really what I think it is, part of it is one, the people who, when they push me when you don't have it, because you're giving them hope that they can do the same thing. So they, you know, and the thing is they're trying to live, you're living their dreams by your actions. And this is the things that they want to be doing and is, is motivating them. When they see you have it and they didn't get it, then comes the jealousy, whether they know it or not. And for myself, it's like, I would rather, you know, if I see you, like you work towards it and then you got it, I'm congratulating you all the whole way there because your success is not my success. You, I'm not owed what you worked for, but people feel that they, because they, they didn't do it, is I really feel it's more of a fear-based thing because they feel like I'm not going to get there. So let me tear him down to bring him back to where I am. So that way he's on the same playing field. So I think that's really more, it's, it's more about like the, just a jealousy of, and jealousy and fear of, I want it, I didn't get it. And I'm, I want to be happy for you, but if I'm happy for you, then I'm also mad at myself because I should have been doing what you were doing. I think that, it, I think that the best thing that you could do is if you're the person who sees somebody accomplishing what you want is grind harder, hustle harder, get in, get in the paint because it might look like somebody's ahead of you, but you can always catch up. You can always get to that point. I would say that the benefit of having successful friends is I always have something to chase after. So if I didn't have nobody, if everybody was just whack, I'd be like, all right, well, that didn't work out. So I guess I'll just be nothing and ain't shit. Like, no, like my friends out here buying homes, getting promotions, getting other degrees. And so instead of being jealous, just get in your bag, create something, build something, hustle more. That That's how a productive community exists. A productive mm. community exists where we're all hustling and they might be ahead at this moment and you use that as motivation, not, oh, F them, they ain't this. And pulling them down and hating on them like, no, like, congrats to you. Celebrate them and their success as if it is yours, because one day it will be yours. But if you hate on it, if you pull it down, you both stay down. Crabs who pull down other crabs don't get out the barrel either. So the goal is for you to get out the barrel, right? So let's 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 not hate on the other crab who got out the barrel or pull them down. Raphael, what's your thoughts on that, man? Hold on. Raphael dropped some gems. He needs to start talking more because, man. I was listening. I was like, that was deep. I need to start. I need to make sure I say, I want to, yeah. Raphael, what do you think, man? <laughs> um, He's a, a wise man. Definitely agree with, with uh, Tokes. You know, when, when you're on your way up, you know, your friends, everybody's cool. It's like, yeah, you're doing good. But once you, once you, once you get there, it, it reminds them that they could have, they could have done it too, but they chose not to a lot of times because they just didn't put in the work. And then you remind you, I mean, if 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 you're if your friend if your friends were like the only two or three black people in the spot, right? And they've been there for a while, and you come along, you're the new guy. You come along, and you six months later, you get a promotion. Mm. They can't. It's hard for them to say like they didn't get promoted because they're black. 
<laughs> you know, you just threw salt in their eyes and stuff, man. It's like you just made them look bad. Like this mofo just came in, uh, leaped over us. That's actually really, really important, Raphael, because people lean on that. And so when you do accomplish what they say can't be done due to race, they end up hating on you. I've seen it with Tone Talks. It's like Tone Talks, his whole narrative is like, we need reparations because we can't do anything else. And so as soon as somebody hops out there and they do it, here comes the slander police. Here comes, we pulling down Jay Morrison. We pulling down Ice Cube. I think him and Ice Cube are cool. We pulling down whoever, Kanye West. We hating on him. So that's that's a gem right there, Rafael. Yeah, what are the gems you got for the people, man? Man, he I, I think I talked about this before too, but he even put he even did a video about Jay-Z's song, The Story of OJ. I don't know if you saw that video. Man, remember in, in Story OJ when um Jay-Z says I could have had a building in, in Dumbo for a million. Mm-hmm. You know, two years later, it's worth four millions. Whatever he said. I said, guess how I feel, Dumbo. I remember. And he tore apart that line. He's that like, was, we couldn't afford to own back then. He's like, that's not realistic for black people to be buying a million dollar, a two million dollar building or a one million dollar building. So like, that's like, the whole thing is whack. Jay-Z is not um, deep. His song was not deep. That stuff is not realistic for black folks. And I'm like, wow. You know, wow. Dapper Dan, he bought a he bought a brownstone. He was talking about that. He bought a million dollar property in Harlem and he held on to it. And now it's worth big cheese. But he was smart when everybody else is buying the crazy stuff. He was buying property. And I can read his book to that to, to expand off of that is not. Yeah. Not every black person can go out and just buy a million dollar property. But that was Jay-Z's budget to buy. Right. Not you know, the, the common Joe. Like for me, my first property, 300000 But then I now have a platform to get a different property, a bigger property later on with the equity that I, I get. So, and this is the thing is, I felt Dumbo because I was supposed to buy a property in 2012 when I said I was first looking. It was selling for 240000 right? Um, it was, it was like, it was a duplex. It was listed as a single family residence, but it was like a duplex, a two, one and a one, one that were completely separated. Well, separated by a wall, but they were two different living spaces. I could have easily rented out, you know, the whole, I could have probably rent out the, the one bedroom itself for $1,600 and pay the whole mortgage and live for free. And I didn't do it because I mean, at this point in time, I was still, I was young. I was, you know, this was like, I'm, I'm scared at this point. Like no one has really done this in, in my circle yet. So I'm like, how does this work? And I, so I didn't end up buying the property before I bought my property this time. I looked at how much that property was worth. That property is now worth 550,000. Wow. So $310,000 in appreciation in seven years. How did I feel when I didn't buy that property? Dumbo. <laughs> And but, you know, what's interesting, not to cut you off, but having the the ability to see your mistakes and then make intelligent steps forward is dope. Because now when Tokes finds that new opportunity, he's like, now nah, I got to get this one. This just makes so much sense. Okiefa Shades is the premier choice for sunglasses. Top quality, unique, signature, fresh, trendy. Our shades provide significant UV light protection for eyes, and we have the best customer service around. The freshest and trendiest styles for both men and women. The finest shades to fit your style. Okiefa Shades is the premier choice for sunglasses. Visit www.okiefashades.com. That's O-K-I-Y-E-F-A Shades.com. Or on IG or Facebook at Okiefa Shades. Or on Twitter at DJ Ebrock. And so it's like a it's not all for not. We have made mistakes, but what are we doing to address it now? 
a lot of times we're like, oh, we made the mistakes. Let's point at the mistake. Let's point out the 200, 300,000 that we missed out on and complain about that. Like, no, do something now. Mm-hmm. Take action today. And then five years later, Toast is going to be sitting on whatever he's sitting on. He's probably sitting on crazy equity right now. And it's only going to improve. And you said, how much How much did they go up? 310,000? 310,000. And what's that? Eight years? Or three, yeah, or three to 10,000. Yeah, in seven years. And how much And how much is the house that you have now? How much did you buy it for? 299. Wow. Yeah. But he's still got a deal and he's still got a... I mean, I'm sure Jay-Z has made some intelligent boss moves. He's a billionaire now. You don't get right. to a billionaire by not making intelligent boss moves. So it's cool for a rap song, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still opportunities out there for us. He's looking at one opportunity missed, but we're all, I mean, Detroit is an opportunity. All these other opportunities that we're looking over are still opportunities. And I think that's even the reason why he wrote that line is he's like, bro, like we missing out on opportunities. Buy some shit now. Not like, oh man, that's, this is what tone talks and then we'll do. I'm just going to sit on my stoop and just complain about the $300,000 I missed. They owe me $300,000. Wah, wah, wah. And that's all their post is. Like, this is what happened to us. This is what they didn't do for us. Wah, wah, wah. Instead of taking that same energy and effort and building and hustling I mean, and yeah, finding exactly. new opportunities. That, that's, that's what I was doing. And then when I started looking... Like I said, I didn't look for a long time because I was like, this is that opportunity. The the forum is being rebuilt. The Rams Stadium. I knew, I mean, LeBron didn't even come to L.A. But by the time I bought my property. So then that, again, raised the property value. Now the championship, all this type of stuff. Like, but I saw, I looked for the opportunity. I didn't look for, and this was another thing about home buying. This is kind of off of a little tangent. Are you looking for that, that property? You're looking for that deal. You don't listen, you don't look for your dream home. That was the issue that I had with the first one. I was looking for my dream home. I was like, I well, it doesn't have a garage. It had a carport. <laughs> oh, it, you know, I, it doesn't have central air. But, uh, you know, I, I was trying to, I, I found every reason not to because I was trying to find the perfect, oh, it has everything I need. And now I'm so happy. And then what if I would have bought that property, the next property would have had everything that I needed. So now with the first one, it's like, this wasn't my dream home. It's cool though. I mean, I enjoy living there and I enjoy being seven miles from downtown because when I was commuting from anywhere else, it's, that's a way longer, way longer drive. So I looked at the, that, that value and it's like, hey, it's not the dream property, but I'm close to downtown. It's not the dream property, but I'm in LA. It's not the dream property, but it's a good deal. It's not the dream property, but I can rent out two rooms in the property and pay almost pay off my entire mortgage. So why would I not take this opportunity? And now that I take this opportunity, I've been there two years. I haven't got my house reappraised yet, um, but estimates have already showed about eighty dollars to $90,000 of equity growth. And that's not including any improvements that have been made to the property. So then it's like, if I could have made $100,000 in two years, my job not even paying, of course, gross wise, yeah, but take home wise, you're not paying me that much. So it's an opportunity. And I think like, we're saying about the what this t- tone talk is like, let's not complain about what we don't have. Let's just go out and get it <laughs> because there is an opportunity for everyone, whether it be a vending machine, whether it be a house, whether it be that business that you like. I've been thinking about starting this business for three years and you haven't done it. It's just hey, the opportunity is there. If you look for the opportunity, it may not be the one that you thought was going to be there, but find the opportunity and take advantage of it. What's the next tweet, Raphael? Well, the next tweet I was going to say, I don't know, we might have covered most of it already, but you said these folks aren't out here trying to help you win. So why should I care if they do? I said that. I got it somewhere, bro. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said that. <laughs> I, I can't even think. I don't even know. 
where that came from. So let's pass on that one. I think we pretty much covered it a lot of it anyway. Yeah. We talked a lot of it about it anyway. Shout out Donald the Voice. <laughs> he won't catch it. Anyway, what's the next one, Raphael? Well, before we get to the the next one, I think I want to do the, the Black Billionaire Spotlight for this episode. It's lit. So the Black Billionaire one spotlight for this episode is called Patrice Motsipi. I think that's how you pronounce his name. The right, correct spelling will be in the show notes. He is one of the top five richest people in South Africa, one of the richest black people in the world. He's worth $2.4 billion, according to Forbes right now. He created his fortune. He started a company called African Rainbow Minerals. It's in mining. You know, so he has um, interest in gold and I believe, I'm not sure it's oil, but he has rhodium, gold, and precious metals. That's how he got rich. Became a billionaire in 2008. The first black African on the Forbes list. Uh, he also is uh, the owner of the Mamelodi Sundowns professional football team. It, that's um, not American football, but football. football. Yep. And in 2016, he, he launched a private equity firm by the name of African Rainbow Capital. And he partnered with another company, which he has part ownership in, called Salam, to launch African Rainbow Life in 2019, which is a life insurance company. So that's Patrice Mosepi of South Africa, worth $2.4 billion. People are doing big things. I also I also would like to start doing uh, like a separate segment called I'm going to separate the black billionaire banter for like news that we see in black business that we should discuss. So I saw I, I saw uh, a story today that Rick Ross, the rapper Rick Ross, not the real Rick Ross, rapper Rick Ross bought. He is yeah. the real Rick Ross, man. <laughs> <laughs> that Rick Ross, the rapper bought 87 acres of land in Georgia for a million dollars recently. Wow. Million dollars, 87 acres of land in Georgia, near to his uh mansion that he already has in Georgia. That's dope. That is pretty dope. And we know Rick Ross. I'm surprised to find out he he's supposedly only worth about 40 million, which is surprising. But he, we know he has like 25 Wingstop franchises and he has some checkers franchises too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an interesting move. I mean, what do you guys think about that one? I think it's incredible. Um I mean, we were talking about something similar literally earlier today about a deal that um, my sister-in-law presented when she was you know, she looking for a buyer, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's sold yet or not, but it was 250 acres in San Bernardino for 4 million. And it's just like, man, I mean, land is something that's not, be, there's no more being made of. <laughs> so to be able to buy 87 acres of land, you know, the possibilities of what that can create and the thing is, I think about is, you know, if, if it was myself who was who bought that and my dream would be I'm going to build a black utopia, you know, for us. And it's and you know, who's going to stop me if you own all this land? Um, right. So I think it's incredible. I want I'm, 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 I want to see what he does with the land. Because I think that's going to be, you know, the next thing. Or if he just owns it and then, you know, he keeps it in his portfolio and appreciates over time. But I hope he does something with the land and it's something positive for the black community. Yeah. Um, When I was working at the family office, we used to do what's called like land banking. And so instead of putting your, your cash, once you get so much money, like you can only put so much money in your bank account. Now it's like, hey, I'm going to put this into something that could potentially appreciate over time. And so he was just buying up land. He was buying up land. He owned some land over near um, the tennis gardens in Indian Wells, which is where like they had this this tennis. It's out near uh, it's out near Coachella. And so it's like super elite. 
And so you might not see what you can do with it in like year one, year five, year 10, but year 15, now the tennis gardens have expanded. Now we're talking, talking about building a hotel in that land because now the opportunity comes to you. So sometimes it's not about the opportunity that you can see in that moment. It's opportunities that might come later. And so for him, he might have never developed that land, but that million dollars sitting in land is so much more advantageous than a million dollars sitting in your bank account. We got to get that money out of the bank accounts. That's why like, I'm like, I don't want this shit. Vending machines, <laughs> whatever. I'm, I, I'm, I'm putting it into, I'm doing a deal with Rashana. I'm like, put that money over there, over here, anywhere but the bank accounts because it does nothing for you. I look Wait, at my savings account. I'm like, y'all, y'all, pay me, y'all pay me five dollars. Zero one point zero three percent in the bank it's account. Bad. You are losing money. Your money sitting in the bank account is eroding away. Your dollar, your buying power goes away every year due to inflation. And so, I mean, two points is get that money in the streets, like Dame Dash says. And then also, um, there's a lot of advent. There's a lot of advantages in being in land. You can get it for way less expensive. But then again, let the opportunities find you. Let the opportunities come to you. You might not have to see the vision, but at least you own the asset because you never know what other people are thinking. So the same thing is true with our homes. We might not see the vision in that moment. Three years ago, buying that fire damage home for $2,000 at the auction didn't make no sense. And now we're about to develop it for $30,000 all in. We'll be in at $15,000 per side. You can't buy shit in Detroit for that much money right now. Now we look like geniuses because we just bought it and sat on it. Mm. All our homes, we just bought it and just sat on it. They're like, why are you buying out there? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. It's that, that splat. <laughs> 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 What's next, Raphael? Uh, it said it has already it already has two properties on it, but I'm not sure if the what the properties are. I believe it has two pro, two uh, two houses on it, two lakes. Like you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of things he could do with that land. And it's funny, um, the mansion that he has nearby, he that used to belong to Evander Holyfield, he bought it for five point eight million for some wow. huge mansion that. The funny thing is, you pay more money for the the mansion, but it's less flex. It's less flexible because it's got like a hundred and nine rooms. It's hard to move those things when you try to sell them. Mm-hmm. The market is not that great for for mansions. I mean, depending on what time of the year it is, right? And what's or, going or on? Just the gen- or just the general state of the economy, right? Exactly. So the next, um, hmm? you got more news for the good peeps. I like that. We're going to be, it's more than just talking tweets. We want to be a resource for the community. So that's why we added these segments. We've added the the definitions. So we're really trying to turn it up, man. That's why we need more content. I want an episode out per day. <laughs> the new BET, the real BET, the, the way B, you know, we always right. complain about what BET turned into. Well, we're going to create the BET that should exist. Black people still need some entertainment on television or in podcast form. They love this. They eat it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So the, the next the next tweet we're going to go to, Charles, you said no small deals, no small deals, no small deals. No, no, no. That was that was like a, a Drake uh, line that I converted into my my own tweet. I'm super inspired. We just recently interviewed Shannon Steele on the podcast and she bought a hotel, but that wasn't her only large deal. Her first large deal, she bought a strip mall. And so she bought a strip mall. And then interestingly enough, in between buying the strip mall and buying the hotel, she bought a ton of land. So she bought a ton of land in Detroit and she bought a ton of land in like Texas or something. And so now she's circling back and she's like, okay, I want to build some affordable housing on this land. And so that's what she's starting to do. And so the question I asked of her is like, hey, um, why did you decide to go big deals instead of small deals? 
And she said, because it takes the same amount of time and energy to do a big deal as it does to do a small deal, but the payoff's a whole lot larger. And we've all heard it. Donald Trump has said it. Everybody said it. But I think she just pushed me because first and foremost, she didn't really even get started until she was until like 2017. And then she got started when she was, she's 36 now. So she was about 33. And so I was like, our stories kind of line up. Maybe I could do this. And so I was sitting there talking to Tokes and we're like, we're working on this larger deal. And I was like, the idea that I can do a large deal just by myself also might be a mistake. I'm going to need other ideas, other connections, other networks, all that stuff. And so that's why the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he makes a point. It's like, an entrepreneur looks at a problem that's so big that he can't solve it himself. And so the deals we're looking at now, I can't do it myself. I can take down little baby homes, $30,000 duplex, it's nothing. But this deal, the reason why I can't get over the hump is because I don't have the right team in place. And so I have to get that team in place, but we're all going to grow through the process. It's just like while I was trying to make the example with lifting weights is when you lift weights the way I've always seen lifting weights, and maybe this is why I'm not buff. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe Toast can correct me on this, but I feel like with lifting weights or with any goal for that matter, you go for something that you can't really lift up and then you you work on getting to, to that weight. And now that becomes like your new max. And so I can never get to my new max if I don't try to lift it. But if I'm only, if I'm only around here lifting up five pound weights, I'll never get to lift the 100 pound dumbbells. I got to try to start taking step stores, 100 pound dumbbells. So that might look like a $12 million deal. It might look like a whatever million dollar deal, $1.5 million deal. But we got to start making that kind of moves. No more small deals. No more five pound weights. No five pound weight deals. We only lift in 45 pound weight deals. We only lift in 225. We said in a new max. And it's tough because no nobody's doing what I've been doing. I mean, like my family, I was thinking about this. I was like, we damn near about to own 10 rental units. I was like, I don't know anybody in my family that owns 10 rental properties. I just don't know. I know they might own one. There was a home that they decided to leave and now they have rental property. And so sometimes you can kind of put something in front of your face because nobody's done what you've done this far. So it's like, damn, like I'm really out there in no man's land now. So if I go even further, it's like, this shit is just nuts. Like I'm scared at that point. I'm out here just treading water, just trying to figure it out. But that's why you put together the team. So no more small deals. So, so if I can expand on that, being in business banking, if I have a deal, so if I do a deal that's half a million, that deal takes the same amount of time as a $50,000 deal. Literally the same amount of time, sometimes even more time, depending on the stipulations that are going to be required and that you need to gather. Because now it's like you put together this deal. If you're talking about like a small deal, like, okay, $200,000. But then something wrong with the land or there's something wrong with, you know, the deed and there's something wrong. And now you're spending all this time trying to fix this issue. And this other deal that's probably two million dollars had a clean title and you could have just got it like that if you could figure out the financing. But and then figure out the financing probably would have been faster than taking care of all these other issues. So, yeah, no, no more small deals. I mean, like for myself, I'm building myself up there to to get to that point. Um, but as we were talking about, you know, doing these bigger deals, it was it really was it, we weren't saying we can't do it because we don't have it. We were saying, what do we need to do to figure out how to make this happen versus why can't we do it? There is no can't because. I, I look at I look at properties all the time, you know, if, within within my job. I'm looking like, man, this thing's ten million dollars. Who has ten million dollars? We don't got ten million dollars. So how we, is this just out of the question? No, there's always a solution, but it's a matter of now. What do you do to figure out how to get there? And then who who has the financing? Who who can invest? Who could who has the credit? 
because I, I talk to business owners all the time and they have a great business, they have a great business model, they have great revenue, but then it might be their credit might be shot. So they eliminate themselves from doing the big deal versus putting together the team and saying, hey, you guys have excellent credit. We can put you in as, you know, signers of the account um, and, you know, working on all the other paperwork on the back end. Worry about that later. But we put you on, we use your credit to help make this large deal happen. And that way you're, you get equity or you get some type of stake in, in your investment. But it's a matter of you can figure out what you need to do in order to get it versus, oh, I can't do it because it's too big. It's out of my reach. Yeah, 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 yeah. What kind of gems do you have for the people, Raphael? I want to hear because I listen to this podcast all the time. And while I enjoy listening to myself, you you enlighten people, Raphael. I was like, I like that. You said, yeah. What you got, Raphael? I mean, we talked about this um, in a previous episode. We talked about you. You said something about we should be aiming to do deals that we can't afford or something like that. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, we got to stretch ourselves. We really got to stretch ourselves and we got to look at the, the, the cost versus reward. If the cost is the same, we got to go for the high reward stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Really Focus got on to. what you can gain, not what you have to give up. Yeah, and, and we're capable. You have to remember, you are capable. If you're listening to this, you are capable. Somebody else did it already, probably. So you can do it too, man. And just, re- it. and just remember, it isn't about doing it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself anyway. You just got to find the right people. Yeah. So, somebody get the money. I'm sorry to cut you off, but you go back to the working out analogy. So how I pushed myself to 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 be able to get stronger working out was like you were saying, like I would do something that I couldn't do, but then here comes the plan, like I said, where I had the 70, 80, 90% thing. So if I know at the time I couldn't bench 250 pounds, but that was my goal. So I try to hit it and I try to do the 250 and I, I get stuck here. I can't, I can't bench it. I still did 70% of 250 and try to do 10 reps of that. I still do 80% of 250 and try to do eight reps of that. And I may not get it. I may not, I may not get the 10 reps. I may not get the eight reps. I may not get the six. But then when I max next time, I did more than I did last time. And then I moved up further than I thought I would or the more my trajectory would because I pushed myself further than I thought I can get to. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a cool. That's a cool. They never thought of that. Like, like you say, you you push the two hundred or whatever it is, and you might not be able to get it, but you realize like I almost got it. So that means I could do. I could probably do like one eighty. Mm-hmm. I've been doing one twenty, and I thought I could only do one twenty, but I tried the two hundred, and I figured out that I could probably do one eighty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another thing too is like when you try. When you try to, you aim for something that stretches you, sometimes just the audacity of doing things, people respect that, man. Mm-hmm. And just the audacity, sometimes you just convince people of audacity alone. Like, man. Right. It's just like just the the actions that you take in trying to take down a hotel are actually success. Yes. See, you can't always put that goal on a pedestal. You got to take the action to put the actions on a pedestal. Who are you calling? What contractors are you calling? What lenders are you talking to? Because you're going to circle back around. And you're going to probably have to make contact with those same people again. So that's dope. So the next tweet, Charles, you said, go broke, buy an income. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, it's so funny because once I, on, I tweeted that and then I went on top of that tweet and I was like, I tweeted that for myself. I'm over here telling myself, like, let it go, man. So um, the community does, it generates a lot of money. And I always told myself, like, it won't always generate a bunch of money. I'm not that delusional to think that I'm going to consistently, and we are making plans to grow it. So I had a conversation with Torrance and we're like, Hey, we're going to turn this into an app. We're going to turn this into a web community. We're going to do so much. It's just going to be called Thai capital online. So it's something we're working on called Thai capital online. Mm-hmm. Super dope idea. 
that we're looking to build out. But um, remind me of that tweet again. Refresh that tweet. Go broke by an income. Right. So, um, so one of the so what I do is I take the community money and I try to turn it into passive income. Um, I had a call with with Andre C. Hatchet and I paid for these consultations. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but I was like, I paid to speak with some really, really good people because I need coaching. I need people to get me on track. And so I talked to Andre, I talked to Jeremy. Jeremy kind of took me one step and then Andre took me another step. And they told me like, hey, you need to get a safe $10,000 worth of passive income, a safe 10. And so that's what I'm working towards getting. And I've been putting so many things together that I think were there, but um, notwithstanding, I still have cash in the business account. I'm like, hey, let's, let's get like outside of like my personal stuff. I was like, let's just go all in. It's scary. Sometimes paying $30,000 to one person is scary because you don't know what could happen. It's not a house. If I pay you $30,000 for a vending machine route, it may or may not perform in line with what you're projecting. It's supposed to perform. Um, And so it's scary, but I'd rather try than not. And then also I work up my numbers pretty conservatively. So I'm like, okay, let's say worst case scenario, this $30,000 route only brings in net after I pay my route guy, after I pay for all the snacks, $1,000 a month. That's still a 30% return. Where are you getting a 30% return? That's still $1,000, $12,000. That's paying me what my SPG is paying me. And it is nothing compared to what I have in SPG. The thing is, it's liquid and I can always get it out. But sometimes you got to kind of be willing to let it go because it's not doing anything in your bank account. So that's just what I was saying is like, um, I also had another tweet and I was like, get money and buy buy vending machines, which is a spin on Chris's uh, tweet where he said, get money, buy income. And so I'm loading up. I've talked to a lot of people and thank God I have a a route guy because I wouldn't even be here without him. I couldn't have be having these conversations, negotiating, looking at contract terms. I'm I'm working on like three deals at one right now, and I'm probably going to close two of them on Monday. And so those two are going to generate about three thousand in passive income per month net. I always I only quote the net number. They quote their dumbass gross number. I I don't even care about the gross does not matter to me. I don't get to keep the gross. I only get to keep the net. I don't keep no snack money. I don't keep no money. I pay my dude. And so I only count the net as to my passive income bottom line. So essentially what I'm saying is make big money and make it passive. Take massive income, turn it into passive income because you're still going to get the money back. And so you buy a $30,000 vending machine route that generates $3,000 a year or $3,000 a month gross. You'll get your money back in two years. I'm not really big on the get your money back thing, but I realize that's the velocity of money. And so it's like, okay, I put this money out. How quick can I get it back? So then I can reinvest it again. But that's just my mindset. My mindset is take it and make it passive because it's it's not doing me any good here. I can't count on that. If I take $30,000 and I live off of that $30,000, I'll be broke in 12 months. If I take $30,000, I put into an asset. I might not have all this money sitting in the bank, but I know I can count on that check coming. And it's cool when you got all these ones and you put them in the bank. I'm like, this is just crazy money. My son, we just put like, I made a deposit for him. It was like $2,100 $2, and it's just all him. I'm like here. And that doesn't count the affiliate money. That counts just the vending machine money that we've been running for like, I don't know, like two months or so approximately. But it's just crazy the amount of cash I've been able to accumulate for him with the business as opposed to if I was just trimming off a of cash from our job. Because that's what a lot of our parents did. A lot of our parents, they made money. And they took money from their job money, which likely wasn't no money. And then they gave it to us or whatever they did. But I was like, you know, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to buy an asset for my son and we're still buying more assets. And so the vending machine was just the first asset. Now we're looking at a house because we got this cash coming in. All right. I was like, bro, let's flip this into some more vending machines. 
you're going to have, by the time he's five, he's going to be, he's going to be set. So go broke on that income because you're not broke. That's actually the way to prevent yourself from being broke. If I buy income, I'll never be broke. But if I just have the cash, broke is just a matter of time. So I'd rather look yeah. broke than be broke. It looks broke. The money's not in my account anymore, but I got income now. Worst case scenario, I can sell that route. Worst case scenario, I might take a small loss on that route if it came to that. And I have to sell that $30,000 route for twenty. But I'll never be broke if I buy income. It's it's like somebody said, this is a, an oxymoron. It is an oxymoron. You don't go broke when you buy income. You go broke when you buy Dior and diamond necklaces, though. Ooh, NBA young Todd. <laughs> what you say on that, uh, Tokes? Go broke buying income. Uh, so I've been seeing Charles kind of talk about this for a while. And then, you know, I really didn't understand the concept because, you know, I saw what my mom did. Like what Charles said, get a job, pay your bills, give whatever you can to, you know, who you do. And that's what I was focused on. I was always focused on, I got to get the next promotion in order to get more money. Now, then reality starts to set in as like, okay, I'm 34 years old now. How much money do I want to make? And what promotion do I need to get from the job? How long is that promotion going to take me to get there? Mm. You know, five years, 10 years, 15 years. I don't got time for that. I do not got time for that. And I would, you know, I'd have my money, my savings account, not making anything. You know, I was thinking, oh, should I buy, get a CD, 1%, maybe 0.95%? No, it doesn't make sense to now if you lock it up. I've seen people lock up money in their CDs, more money than that, take money out of the CD because they needed it and pay more in fees than they earned. So... I'm just like this is not this is not the this is not the move. This is not the the way it is not to just see, keep it. You know, I can look at it. It looks nice in my bank account, but what am I doing with it? So since I was you know been seeing this and you know I'm following you know the the podcast and everything that Chuck's been doing, I was like, you know what, it makes sense. If I have more cash flow, I am more wealthy. If I have more cash flow, I can also get more lending as well because, you. you know, then I can use that lending to now buy more assets. But I was like, okay, I, I'm going to I'm gonna stop being scared. I'm going to pull the trigger. In the last three months, I bought 14 vending machines, um, five routes. And the fact that money is coming in from what I didn't do anything for this money. It's just come, I mean, other than filling up the route and buying the snacks, whatever the case is. But that's okay. I'll, I I go there and I pick up money. When I was out, when I was just breaking or my paycheck, I'd be at home and only I can do is spend money. So now I have money coming in that is just going to come in because I now have an asset. And that's when I was like, okay, assets are, are a real thing. And that's what that's what we should be focused on. And then when you talk about bank lending and home lending and loans, things like that nature, they're looking at your assets. They're looking at your balance sheet. So you have a balance sheet that now you have this income, you have this asset. So now you can put, I have these many, many machines and it's worth, you know, let's say $60,000. That's on the balance sheet that you can put on there. That's going to help you with that loan as compared to you have that one job. And the one job that you have, your debt to income ratio, because I always get to the point where it's like, okay, I got the house, I got a car, I got credit cards. My debt to income ratio is like, oh, I'm getting capped out. I need to get another raise. I can't wait for the raise. I bought some assets and now I have more cash flow. And it's like, hey, that's a little more breathing room. Now, I'm, the next thing I'm trying to do is buy more assets. That's all I care about at this point in time. Buy more assets, okay. buy more cash flow. My goal is to have my assets replace my check so then I can replace my job. Hey bars, that's financial freedom. What the create the dope part about it, and there's a lot that's dope there, is um it's funny because we have this, we they when we're going through the lending process, 
the the lender, she was like, oh, you have this home and uh, there's property insurance. So it's throwing your debt to income out of whack. And I was like, we have a tenant in there. They're like, okay, we'll just send over the lease and then we'll see. Because the property and ins- the taxes are just like nothing. The insurance is like nothing, but the rent, it, it just absorbs it all. And so I was thinking, I was like, it's crazy. I was like, I guess they don't even know. All I really have on the application is my bank accounts and my working income. They don't know all the income that I have. I don't have the other assets on there because they're all through corporate entities. And so everything for the most part is inside capital, or I try to keep it there. But this particular house was a land bank house. And so it had to go in my personal name. And so that's how they know about it. Otherwise, it'll be a tie capital house, but notwithstanding, it still has rental income. And so it's funny, it's like Toke said, the more cash flow you have, the more lendable you become. They're looking at debt to income. They're not looking to debt to W-2 or to job income. They don't care where you get the income. They just care that you get it. So you need to get you some income. Step your income game up. And for the listeners, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, the people that listen to this podcast, like we got some heavy hitters listen to this podcast. We got some hustlers. I remember some a lot of regular folks listen to this podcast, too. and may not make the kind of money or be making the kind of moves that we're talking about. But if you never bought income before, try it, man. It's cool. Start small. Like start small, like. Find uh my advice is if you you don't make a lot of money but you want to but you want to do something buy one share of like a REIT that pays you monthly and that's just cool to see like one one REIT I I bought is like one this one share brings it back ten cents a month which is nothing ten cents is nothing but it just comes automatically for doing nothing and it's like that ten cents is more than you get at a bank in a savings account to get that ten cents a month from the from the bank you gotta have ten times the amount of money in there just for 10 cents. It's just cool to see money just coming to you for no reason. For no reason. You didn't even do anything for it. But do something. We, we got to do something. We got to make some moves. We are, we are like in last place in this wealth race, like Charles always says, man, we got, we can't do conventional things. I mean, if we're the, we're the lowest paid anyway, so we can't come, we can't depend on just working a job and trying to save money. We already gained the lowest amount anyway. Yep. And the job's not paying you enough to, to save anything. Back. Yeah, they're paying you, they paying you enough so you have to come back. If you save enough and like I can leave for six months, they were like, Oh man, <laughs> like he's gone now. No, nah, they they pay you enough so you come back on Monday. <laughs> yep. I tell people. I was like, I'm a terrible employee. I take off when I want to take off. I show up when I want to show up. I'm like, I do good work when I'm there, but I decided I'm not going to work on Friday and I didn't show up at work on Friday. I didn't ask. I just didn't show up, (laughs) but I still, I still did the work. We have the ability to work from home, but I'm like, I'm not going to ask you why. Cause I don't want you to be able to determine if I get to go to swimming with my son or not. I'm not going to put in that they bring me into a meeting that might sound really ignorant, but I'm going to tell them, like, I want to go see my son swim on Fridays. I can't do that if I'm here due to distance constraints, but I will work. I'll, I'll log in. I'll participate. I'll respond to emails, texts, all that stuff. I'm here, but I'm not going to let you determine if I can do what I want to do. And that's financial freedom. Um, it might make me a bad employee because they don't want that. They want you by the balls, but I feel like that sucks. I don't want to be having to work somewhere where if I don't show up, I'm homeless. Or if I don't show up now, I can't feed my family. Like that is a lot of weight reason why I hustle so much for the income outside of the job. It's not necessarily because I hate the job. I hate the things that come with having a job. I hate the fact that now I got to ask somebody if I can go here. Now I got to ask somebody if I can take this trip. Now I have to ask for that raise if I can get more money. 
Now we have to do all these different things that aren't very manly in the first place. It's not very manly to have to ask another man if you can do something for your family. That's not man shit. Men do what needs to be done for their family, period. Dame Dash ain't rocking with that. And so it's my responsibility as a man to be the man for my family, not to let another people be a person be the superhero in my family. Dame Dash says like, are you a superhero? Not when your boss is in the room. I ain't got no boss no more, man. I mean, I do, but I don't. He, I don't call him a boss. I hate when I'm in the office and they're like, hey, boss. I'm like, I ain't never calling another man boss. His name is Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, like, I, I feel like your words matter. I'm not going to call somebody boss. I'm not going to call that. Uh, oh, that's not what we out here for. Because... Call another man boss is like call another man daddy. Exactly. Mm. According to Dame Dash. Book yep. of Dame Dash, chapter one. <laughs> verse three. <laughs> the book of Dash, that'd be dope, low key. <laughs> and Charles, you summed it up in this tweet, your whole attitude. You said, I don't know how y'all do that nine to five stuff. Um, you know, it's just it's a funny tweet. Um, because people always say that when they like make a little bit of money in the stock market. And so it's, it's, it's not too much depth to that. It's just me kind of joking around. But I did receive a dividend from SPG, which is my largest holding. And interestingly enough, the reason why I became my largest holding holding is because they paid me a dividend like three months ago. And I was like, they really just gave me money. Like they just, they just gave, I forgot how much it was. It was probably like 1200 bucks. It wasn't crazy, but that's a lot for a dividend. I was like, that's crazy. 1200 bucks divided by three. That's like 300 bucks. That's like 400 bucks a month. That's a car note. So this dividend just paid my car note. I'm replacing my expenses with a dividend. And so I bought more. I was like, I need more. And I'm still doing the math. I'm like, I might need more of this stuff. And so I doubled up and my most recent dividend through them was like $4,200. That's $1,400 a month. That's that's love. I ain't got to go nowhere. Mm. And honestly, they lowered their dividend due to COVID. And so my idea is they're going to bring it back up. It's $1.30 per share. And so I want to say before COVID, it was like $2.10 per share. It was a pretty fat dividend. So I'm looking to get like a 70 cent raise once things go back to normal. Mm. That's going to be love. And so that's why another reason why I'm scooping up shares for the low. It's a $150 stock that's trading for like 66 bucks. I was like, I need as many of these as possible because who knows? They raise that dividend. They do all this stuff. I do a lot of things, honestly, with the eye on making sure that my son can go to whatever school he needs to go to. And so I'm like, okay, these schools are like a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks a month. That means I need to make sure I have at bare minimum that much money to make sure he can go to this school. And so that's why I do a lot of things like the vending machines are about to get in my house, all that stuff. I have a my son focus these days, which is way different than just keep it with your friends focus. Um, mm-hmm. Like I just, I, right. yeah, it's, it's the, the focus changes. It really does. So um, I would just say that, yeah, get those dividends, get, get it, get it all, man. I, I need the dividends. I need the vending machine income. I need the rental income. I need the business income. I need the community mastermind income because community and mastermind income is love too. That comes on a recurring basis. So we just, we out there living, man. We out there just, just living the dream, Raphael. Living the dream. Yes. Sign into Robin Hood right now. <laughs> Check out SPG, man. Let me look at I that. Just, I, I like the SPG already, too. I just looked at that, man. I didn't realize it was like, this thing is like a $200 per share. You know what? Let me shut up. <laughs> but also, you got to look at their portfolio, man. Like, the one of the biggest malls right down the street from me is a Simon property, Ontario Mills. Oh, yeah. And then I, I mean, want to say they own... They own Linux malls, which is like one of the biggest malls in, in like one of the nicest malls in Georgia. 
And then they also own hotels too. I found it. I was like, this is a gym right here. I haven't really been able to find too many other things that I like that have a strong dividend like they did. So I vetted a lot of different companies before I settled on that one. That's major. That's major. I mean, like, and again, the financial re- freedom aspect of it is like, if you have the money to buy that, you, you a stock is an asset anyway, but this asset is, this is like paying you a crazy return. So it's like, why not? When you say, you don't, you don't, you don't know how, you know, you do the nine to five stuff, you know, it was a joke. To me, I'm looking at that like, I don't know how I do it either. Because this, if you would have told me about SPG uh, uh, 10 years ago, I'd have been buying it up over time, right? I would have taken my 401k and bought SPG. And then I'm That's getting crazy. paid on top of having the asset, actually. You know, my 401k is here, there, it's growing, but it's like, it, it, I don't get money in my pocket. <laughs> from my 401k. SPG is going to put money in my pocket from just owning it? Mm-hmm. Why would I not do that? And it's like, if you can continue to do it, like I said, if I can replace my income with passive income, that's when I know that I'm financially free. That's when I know that I made it. So that's the goal is to do that as much as possible because I think true freedom is when you control every second, every hour of your day. Even if you're working hard during those hours, but you're working hard for yourself, but you're de- you're determining, like Charles said, I'm not going to work on Friday. And if they if, if they say, hey, we're going to fire you. So what do you, <laughs> what you, what do you mean? I'm going to fire you before you fire me. You know, if they come to me and say, hey, Tony, we're going to fire you. I'm like, hey, well, let's, let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I don't want to be I don't want to be dependent on any anyone, and the only way to do that is to buy the assets and replace the nine to five. And if you still think, pay twenty five, great, but it shouldn't be your only source. Right. And I think Tox is doing it the right way because most people they're like, I'll start doing it when I leave the job. No, you do it while you're at the job, and even if you don't fully get all the way there before you take the leap, at least you've made progress and you're in the space. Every yeah. time I talk to a vending machine route owner that has like a big route. You want to know their first question? Are you in the business? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'll say, oh, yeah, we own blah, 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 blah. Because that matters just as much as do you have the money? A lot of times the experience might actually matter more than just having the money because you can get the money from anywhere. But if you got the experience, experience can sometimes transcend having the money. They might just if they know you can run a business, they'll say, here, we'll sell or finance it. Pay me off over 12, 24 months. But if you don't have the experience, they want all the money up front because they're like, if he fucks this up, at least I got my bread. <laughs> so you think your sneakers look good, huh? Check this out. <laughs> Even the most exclusive sneakers once purchased look identical to everybody else's sneakers. Can I get a holla holla? So how do you take your boring regular sneakers and convert them to unique dynamic sneakers that will stand out? Yo, that answer is easy. You need to get, get, get laced with Get Laced Shoelaces. Yes, yeah, Get Laced is a lifestyle shoelace retailer dedicated to inspiring customers through a unique combination of products, creativity, and cultural understanding. We just want you to upgrade your sneakers. So get laced. Visit GetLacedLaces.com or check us out on Instagram at GetLaced.com. Underscore upgrade your sneakers with a black owned business that provides international shipping, wholesale, custom, and fundraising options. Upgrade them sneakers, baby. Get yours today at getlacelaces.com. Premium sneakers need premium laces. Because these vending machine owners, they, they have relationships with the with that with that business that that route is at, so they don't want to just put it in bad hands, but they also look, I, look, I'll take the money. <laughs> But if you if you have the experience with the money, you're like, okay, well, let's sell our finance. We can 
work this out. With this last route that I've bought, the guy has he he was actually just calling me, but he's he's working with me to to make sure everything runs smooth and transitions extremely smooth. He t- he took time to let me buy the route from him. Like it was, but I told him, oh yeah, I have three other routes. He was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, it was it was a different conversation than my first time. The first route that I bought, I was like, I needed to pay all the money up front. <laughs> it was like, yeah, is is this much money? I'm like, oh man, like, I gotta. I gotta give up right now. That's a bonus. I don't want to give up a bonus. But now that I'm in the in the space where um, I have a few routes now, the conversation is different. When I'm, I'm talking to now, I'm talking to them too. As you can't play me either because I know they say, "Oh, I want five thousand for the route." I'm like, well, "What? What is it making? What's the gross on it?" Well, it's making. Uh, last pickup was 150. When was the pickup before that? Two weeks before that. So you're talking about this route is only making three hundred dollars. You want five thousand for it? My friend, get out of here, my my, my friend. So <laughs> Right, right. So they're saying get that income so that when the boss comes talking about you about to fire you, you can tell them, brother, I already fired you. You just didn't know it yet. You just didn't know it yet. Yeah. You just didn't know it yet. So I wish I had known your your background before you came on, Tokes. Um I would we would have had a better show. But uh, geared it more towards still, banking. I, I think I think we got a lot of value out of this show, though. Yeah, we did. But I think it, I, I would have steered it more towards talking about banking. So, oh, what question okay. for you? I, I asked Charles about this one time before because he was also was in banking. Mm-hmm. But um, now I'm sure you've seen wealthy black people in your, in the banks you worked at. Mm-hmm. So my question was like, I've seen places, I've seen online people say like black millionaires are usually different to other races because. Black people usually, when they're wealthy, they usually hold most of their wealth in their business and heavily in real estate and really not much else. Mm-hmm. So what, in your experience, what, what would you say is the difference between black millionaires, black wealthy people and, and other races, if any? Um, kind of is kind of like that, where it is the wealth is passed down sometimes, um, very rarely, but that's usually like for the millionaires I see that there's been some type of wealth that's been passed down or it's been all through business um, mm-hmm. or real estate. I really haven't really seen too much else other than that. Um, I have seen a couple of millionaires who do have some stock portfolios, um, you know, who, 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 who made it that way, but it's far and few in between, very far and few in between. Um, and I would say the other thing I would say the difference is even though they're a millionaire, they may not be the best set up for their family. Meaning that they didn't have, you know, they might be a business owner, so they don't have, they never got a 401k. So they don't have a, uh, what's the business 401k plan? Uh, SEP IRA or something? SEP IRA. Yeah, they don't have a SEP IRA in place. They don't have, you know, they, they're not even paying benefits to their employees, so they have a 401k. You know, it's like, it's really like, I get out the months. So I'm trying to hold on to every dollar as much as possible. And the other thing I also see is I also I see them afraid to grow more. You know, it's like I'm comfortable being a millionaire. I'm comfortable with my one or two million. I can see my account got five hundred thousand. I see my investment account got a hundred or a million in it. I'm comfortable with that, and I don't really see a lot of growth or movement from that. As compared to other races, it's like when I used to work in Cerritos, there was a lot of like Indian and Bengali people over there buying businesses. They keep buying, but it doesn't stop. They keep buying more businesses. And the business it's not just one business, it's different types of business. So they have different, you know, I might have a gas station, a liquor store, a 7-Eleven, you know, a shop, a jewelry store. Is they're 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 in multiple things. Um, and then with 
with like, you know, Caucasian millionaires, a lot of times just pass down money. Um, and, you know, they, they had a better setup to, you know, to start their business. Um, like I was, I was talking to Charles, I seen someone who got a million dollar check from a life insurance from their, from the father past. And it's like this, like, if you weren't a millionaire already, you just became a millionaire overnight and you didn't have to work for the mud from it. You just got it. So now you're able to, okay, well, I want to buy three houses. I'm going to put this whole million dollars into the stock market because it was money I didn't have. So now you have a million dollars. So imagine if you have a million in SPG that's paying you dividends, <laughs> you know? So it is, it, the, the money that they have or how it comes in, it's like they're set up to do more, you know, where they have their trust accounts set up. They have their, you know, they, they have their beneficiaries set up. It's, it's, I've, seen, I've seen people with, you know, a couple of black people, not many though. Most of them will have a trust. They have the lawyers that they go to. But I have seen some that it's like, this is not set up right. So if you pass, you know, it's going to be a mess. You know, it's not going to be inherited the right way. You might lose the business because you don't have you don't have a legacy who's willing to take over the business. Um, I was talking to Charles about uh, somebody and they they have the business and it's very successful. But the business doesn't look that sexy. It's a it's a marketplace. It's an African market. She wants to pass it to her son. Her son is like, I don't want to work there. I got my degree in finance. So this lady who is, she's probably a millionaire. I'm not sure if she is or not. But her son doesn't even want to take over the business. So then what happens to that as compared to with, you know, others, if their kid doesn't take it over, which usually doesn't happen, usually the kid will take it over. Um, they will have like a management company or something who will take it over for, you know, they have things in, in place already for the business to continue to run and continue making money for the last name as compared to we're just going to sell it. We're going to sell grandma's house because grandma passed away. No, turn, use that asset to do something. Use it as leverage. So I would say that's the biggest difference. Cool, 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 cool. Interesting thing. We, my my takeaway from that is like black folks, we gotta set ourselves up better. We gotta um, get beyond the hustle. Yes, yeah, get beyond the hustle. Um, and the thing is, a lot of it too comes from you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. Like if you didn't know that when you have a trust, and you know if you don't have a trust, even if you have beneficiaries, um, or you don't have beneficiaries, then you know you pass away, you, you die. Then it's not just an easy. This person is going to take over, uh, you know, or the the the, the hospital goes to the family is going to be distributed evenly. Nah, that is going to get sent to the state. It's going to be, um, it's going to go into probate. And now there's fees on top of fees, probate fees, attorney fees. And they're just eating the profit that you built for your family over the last 30 years. They eat the profit away and then they distribute the rest. As compared to if you had a trust and you said, you know, these are the, the my trustees on my trust are my oldest son and my other and my and my daughter. And then when you pass away, they get everything you left as it was, as compared to now it has to go to the state. The state's going to probate it. It's going to get all these fees and lawyers involved. You already got lawyers involved for, for the trust. The trust and getting trust documents drawn up, I think it's like a couple hundred bucks. It's not nothing crazy. Um, but it will set you up way better when you understand get your trust done, get beneficiaries done, have you know your life insurance in order. You know, these things are going to not just help, you know, you might see see it as like I'm preparing for something, but it's like, no, you're preparing your family for success. So even when you're gone, as Charles was saying, as a man, it's not manly to leave your family with a burden. You know, if they're paying for your funeral expenses, they're paying for your GoFundMe, you, you got to do a GoFundMe. It's like, that's not manly. And, but if you didn't know, hey, I can take this route. I can talk to these, you know, talk to two lawyers. 
and I'll be set up for the rest of my life uh, or my, my or my family set up for the rest of their life. Or there's at least a legacy behind a uh, generation behind me that's set up. You're being so much of a better position by doing that versus just saying, oh, well, they'll figure it out when I'm gone. Yeah. So the other two things I take away from what you're saying is beyond, you know, we got to get beyond the hustle, get set up our businesses right. Is that uh, we got to put it, put more thought into two major areas. Number one, estate planning, mm-hmm. you know, starting with life insurance and setting up our wills and trusts and stuff like that. At least get a will. And the other one is for the business owners, succession planning. Mm-hmm. I know, I know a lot of people in, in every race really so, sometimes don't think about that, but we got to think about who's going to take over the business after we're gone. Mm-hmm. And I also just realized when you were talking a little off, way off topic, but this episode right here is like what black people should be doing. Like if I look at, I'm looking at this, all three of us live in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. But Charles is American born, right? Mm-hmm. I'm from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And where, where were you I, born? I, I'm, I was born in Sacramento, but I'm 100% Nigerian. You're Nigerian. So we got like a straight up American, Caribbean and African. Like we need more, we need more, we need more like this, man, linking up together. I mean, I'm not just talking about talking. I'm saying like doing business together and partnership. There's too much of this, you know, with immigrants this and immigrants that. And people, like, I'll never forget the, f- the first time people start asking me, like, are you black or are you are you from the islands? And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I've, I've gotten the, I thought you were regular black. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, wait. <laughs> I was like, wait. What? What's that mean? Right. Like, don't you look like me? <laughs> I was like, I was an either or. The same continent, man. Like, I was an either or, man. If we're going to do big, big things, we got to partner up with our brothers in Africa, man. Speaking of that, I had a tweet, Raphael. I don't know if we ever mentioned this. I think we did. We did. And it was talking about how we don't know anything about Africa, but we know everything about slavery. Yeah. And so it's like people start to think that like slavery is the root of your blackness. <laughs> like, no, that's not the root of your blackness. The root of your blackness is Africa. The root of Raphael's blackness is Africa. The root of Tokes' blackness is Africa. And if we can get back to Africa, we can start to see the greatness of Africa. I was looking at this realtor and he was talking about like, there's a real estate boom going in Ghana. And I was like, it's crazy because we're over here fighting over the hood. And there's folks out there with cribs in Africa. Why the fuck are we here? Man, if I could talk on this subject. (laughs) Because this is something that I I hold near and dear to my heart. Um, one thing is I feel that every Black person who doesn't exactly know where they come from, they should pick a place in Africa and adopt it as home. Um, where you start to learn about it, you start to, you know, if you can, you visit. But you have to get rid of the stigma of Africa being less than. Because if you think of Africa is less than in America, then you're saying that America is greater than you. And this is not true. This is, if you look at our skin, for example, we were built, we, we were designed with God in mind, or God had us in mind when he designed us. We, we, we thrive in the sun, which is God given. We were powerful beings, like our, our, our intellect, the way our rhythm, like all these things are God given and there are special abilities that not everyone has. And we take for granted. And that really like, and that's just part of our worth. But then it's like, even for myself, being born in Sacramento, being, you know, I went through the same, you know, education system as everyone else. I was like, man, 
I never learned about myself. In all my years of school, I never learned about myself. I don't. I never learned anything about Africa. Mm-hmm. So we study world history, and they don't even cover Africa. How do you cover mm-hmm. world history? You don't cover Africa. So why don't I know about myself? And then, so I went to Nigeria for the first time in 2012. And so this is something that I've, 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 I thought was very interesting, or I think people find interesting. Me being in America my whole life, and you know, I I only speak English, so it's it's not like you know I was there and I came here, so. You know, that's why I don't have the comfort level. But when I went to Africa was the first time I ever felt at peace because when I was out there, I know no one was judging me for being black. And that alone is extremely powerful because if you black people out here don't understand how you how would you maneuver differently if blackness didn't matter? How would you maneuver? How would you walk into a business meeting, an interview just on the street when you see a cop? How would you interact if your blackness didn't matter? You're going to feel different. You're going to feel like you can do more. So I started to learn. I was like, I I, I wanted to learn more about who I am. Then when I learned about more who I am, and this is the thing I've always thought about. We look the same. We are the same. This is my brother. Whether you're from America or not, whether you're from the Caribbean or not, we all came from the same place because our skin tells us where we came from. Now, my my name means, my, my name, Tokumbo, my first name, that's my first full name means born across seas. This was intentional to know to let me know that though I'm in America, I was not born here. So I, I need to know about back home. Now my last name means, or my last name is Ogunyoku. So Ogun means the God of iron. Yoku means mocks death. Now the thing is, I when I heard of my last name, I was like, wait a minute. I don't know where I read this before, but I didn't know that your last name is supposed to tell you where you're from. That's what the whole purpose of your last name is, because before you were there, the place was there. So you were named after the place, not named after a person. So now I'm like, so I go to Nigeria and I find there's an Ogun state. I'm like, man, there's a whole state that's this is for me. This is crazy. So now I'm feeling even more empowered and I wanted to know more about my history, more about, you know, what we studied and practiced before we had influence. And then to come to find out, it's like, okay, my last name means the God. It's like, so I'm a God. Now I feel even more empowered. Why? And it's like, I want, I don't want to just have this knowledge for myself. I want all my brothers and sisters to know this because being black is God giving and we are gods. And it's like, if you don't believe it, if you go to any place in Africa, most, most names in Africa is telling you that you're from the land of this God. So it's, it's powerful to know that. It's powerful to to not fo- not only dwell on slavery because slavery is an important part of history. But again, that's still four hundred years. How many years were we on this earth prior? We and we only focus on this. What about everything else? What about the rest of our history? What about the rest of our legacy? What about the other things that we've created? What about the, the you know the places that we discovered? And also. You talk about slavery, you know, we were all taken from Africa, or then I hear the argument, Africa sold black people to to America. And that's why we that's why we were here. So F y'all. And it's just like the thing is Africa wasn't even owned by Africans by that time. The, the British, Germans, Italian, Romans, they all took over Africa and corrupted Africa. And it's still the same corruption that you see today. So, and then also to think that we were just in Africa and we didn't know how to get around. We couldn't maneuver. We couldn't navigate. We couldn't build ships and sail here ourselves. If you actually look at the numbers of how many Africans, how many Black people were in America um, now, because we're a population that has never really been growing, correct? Like we never, our numbers don't, like we're not growing by 3% per year as Black people in America. We stay at 
at 13 percent you know so the, the small number that we grow is from birth but then you, you know and then you still account for death so we're not a growing population so if you look at that number and then you look at how many slave ships would it have taken to go to africa with no steamboat with no refrigeration you went to africa you pick up slaves many died in passage then you brought them to america how many slave ships would that have taken to bring that to bring 13 percent of the population to america literally would be impossible through the, through the time constraints and, and and the capacity constraints of how many people you can bring from africa to america we were here we were here we were told that we weren't here we were told they stripped the, it's the same thing that they've done where they stripped they stripped the history they stripped the knowledge and say you are nothing and that's why they took the names away remember they took the names away for a reason was so you wouldn't know where you were from so you couldn't go back and retrace it because if they disconnect you from the root then you're in a sense you're just withering away so i I believe, I know in my heart and my mind that Africans and African-Americans were, you know, or African-Americans were African and they were already here as natives of the land in some sort of capacity. Um, I don't know the exact number um, because, of course, this is not really taught, but you have to just put it, think of it logically. We've been here and, you know, to know that we've been here now it's like, you can take away the stigma of now we have to be against each other. We can be for each other because now if you know where you're from or you know about where you're from a little bit, you can take that pride and hold on to it and build with it. We can build like the, the, the connections that I have in Nigeria, the connection I'm pretty sure that you have in the Caribbean with, you know, with family members or whatever the case is. Charles doesn't have these connections, but Charles is a connection himself. And it's like, we can put this stuff together and really make change. Like the, the change that we're looking for, the, the things that we want for Black people, we are in control of. And once we can get together and say, hey, we can do this, we're, we can really do this together. Let me take you to Africa and show you new land that you didn't know you could purchase. Like places in, in Nigeria that I saw, um, I, you know, if you see the mansion out here, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, you'd be like, oh man, that's a crazy looking mansion. This guy had his own zoo at his house. He had a club in his house and it's on the water. Like this is wealth that we haven't seen, you know? I've seen made houses bigger than people's houses out here in America, the bigger than my house. And it's like, who's determining what wealth is at this point in time? Who's determining what our value is? Our value is determined by us. We let them determine our value and call us third world. You go there and see for yourself. And you'll be like, man, I think I can live here the rest of my life. A, a, a regular paying job in America as compared to in Nigeria, you will have a driver in Nigeria. You will have a maid in Nigeria. You will have house people, house workers in Nigeria. As compared to, you know, out here, you like, okay, hey, I'm going to pick up this McDonald's because I've been working for 10 hours. Someone's cooking your food out there for you. So the value of who we are, knowing who we are, and connecting all of our connections, I think is like business-wise, it's going to do one thing, but also for our mental, it's going to do another thing to bridge that gap. Yeah, man. See, we got to do it, man. We got to do it. Yeah, got to do it. What you say, Charles? Um, I, I agree with everything that was said, you know. Um, I, I don't really... I mean, it's 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 unique because I think that the people who should be strongly considering it are those who are living in poverty. And I was thinking about this today. I was like, man, it's crazy how like other cultures, they're either going to make it where they are. Or they're going to move. I was like, what keeps us so stuck on being here? I was like, if you're not getting what you want out of life, why do you stay? Um, whether it's in California because <laughs> it sucks out here or uh, whatever, because typically when you leave a place, you tend to kind of see the opportunity in that space that people don't see. And so it makes me wonder, like, why are we here? If you are here and you're struggling, if you're suffering, then just leave. But I think it kind of is like an abusive relationship where they make you feel like you can't get no better elsewhere. So just accept what you got here. 
So accept what you got here in America because this is all you're going to get. Yeah, we might not. We might call you names, um, but we just kind of stayed. The other thing that Toke said that was really interesting is, and I've realized this because it's so funny, man. I just be out here living and I feel like you perceive the world differently when you're in a different space mentally. And I was like, I was at the, I was at swimming with my son and I was standing waiting for my wife to get out of the change room with my son. And like, there's a lady just like staring at me. And I was like, why are you looking at me? <laughs> and so like, then when Nakia came out and I grabbed my son, we start walking to the front. She leaves and she goes somewhere else. Cause her job is done here. She's like, I've, I've monitored the Negro. I made sure that he's not up to no good. And she was like, all right, guys, bye. I say shit to her. But I've also just, I've, I continue to experience these things. And so it makes you wonder if, like Tokes was saying, is if you experience just as early as today, I was at the food court and like, I mean, I'm dressed casual today. I don't have a suit on. I don't got it tapered up. I have my duffel bag because I just taken some cash to whatever. And like, I'm just standing here waiting for my sandwich. I see a security guard like standing there. And I was like, this is kind of weird. And so I get my food and then I walk and he like is walking with me. And so I always, when I experience these things, my mindset is like, fuck these motherfuckers because I got more money than them and because I'm better than them. But still, the fact that a motherfucker who works fucking security or a chick who fucking earns $18 an hour can feel like she has the ability to watch me pisses me off. Like I just and it, and it makes me think like, what other areas does that impact me? What other areas in business does that hold me back? What things am I not doing because I don't feel empowered to the fullest extent? Yeah, I do a lot of things and I'm bold in these things, but it's like, man, what is it? But sometimes I do think that it's a bunch of niggas out there fucking it up for all of us. So it's like, I would like to say, oh, they're just suppressing me. But sometimes it's like, it's some dudes out there doing ignorant shit. And so I think about that too. And so I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt because- there are dudes out there who are causing a ruckus, robbing folks, doing ignorant things. And I just so happen to stare at the same skin color as them. And so it's like, um, by association, it kind of sucks. And so I've always taken the approach of us clean up us. Let's not expect them to be lenient on us. Let's clean up us. Because if we weren't the problem, I would have been like, hey, wife, uh, let's move to Inglewood. Hey, wife, let's, let's do this. People are like, nah, fam, suburbs. And we have to kind of take a self-assessment. We have to realize, like, what are we doing to invite the attention? Are we doing everything right? If you're doing everything right and they're still coming for you, I'm protesting with you. But a lot of times we ain't doing everything right. We out here cussing out cops, fighting cops, doing all these different things, and then getting pissed off when they react a certain way and then saying, oh, it's because I'm black. Like, maybe it's a lot of other stuff that besides the blackness. And so I just kind of maneuvered through it and it's not comfortable. It's not fun. But I mean, what, what is there to do? Keep running up a bag, pretty much run up a bag because I want to be able to have a house in Africa, too. I was looking at the numbers. I was like, man, this house costs how much? OK, we could take a look at this. And see and what you're saying, too, about like, you know, we have to look at us. And I agree to that to an extent. But some of it is. If we actually probably look at the percentages of like how many of us are cussing out cops or, you know, doing things that are, you know, that are giving people reason to do that. It's probably a very small percentage of people. It's just always amplified anytime that someone does it because see, see, I told you, see, I told you those Negroes are bad because when I lived in Lake Forest, 
never forget this experience because I've, I've experienced racism, of course, in my life. Um, I went to Norco High School. So whoever doesn't know where Norco High School is in Norco, California, it is called Horsetown Capital USA. They have actual horse trails in the city, you know, where people will have a horse before they have a second car. Um, the black population out there was, I mean, when I was in high school, when I first got there, I think there was eight of us. So out of 2,200 students. So you know, it, it, it wasn't a big black population. It was, you know, I experienced a lot of racism. I've seen it, you know, so I'm, I'm not really shocked when I experienced it. But at this point in time in my life, when I'm in Lake Forest, I'm a ranch manager, you know, I feel on top of the world. I'm in a, I'm in a dapper day. I'm clean up in my suit, three piece suit. I got the lapel pin, matching the tie. I, you, you know, I'm, I'm getting on my new car, parking in my garage. I'm walking. I see uh, a white lady walking and I, as a courtesy, open up to give her the pathway. She looks at me in a suit, straight off of work, turns, clutches a purse and starts shaking. And I'm sitting here like, I probably make more money than you. I am dressed way more professionally than you. My car is nicer than yours. I, and I'm, in, I'm, I'm getting the MBA. I'm in the MBA program at this point in time. You just see, the only thing you saw was a Negro. You didn't see that this person can have any good in it. Like, I don't look like the people who are cussing out the cops. I don't, I, you, I, I'm not that person. I, I wouldn't be here if I was that person, but you still saw that. So I think about like how much that does hold us back because, or it gives you that additional anger knowing that that's always happening. So like the time that you might see it happening for this person, this might be time number 20 and they're just fed up because this keeps happening. So, you know, I am. Um... I feel like two two points that I take from that is sometimes I say that racism is a mental illness because it legit have people out here who aren't better than you thinking that they're better than you. And so like on the other side of that is when I experience things like that, I think it makes me go harder. I think it makes me push harder and work harder. A big part of the reason why I'm so pro um, entrepreneurship is because I've lost jobs before. And when I look at other people like Neil DeVizo, I've, I've realized that's kind of like an entrepreneurial thing. It's like I, the reason why I struggle with jobs is because I see the end goal of a job and it's not to empower me. But notwithstanding the times that I have worked those jobs, sometimes it hasn't worked out. And I'm like, man, not only does it suck and I can't get to the levels of wealth that I truly want to attain. They also have the ability to take the little bit of money they're paying me away on a whim without even giving me warning. They just call you in. They've been talking and whispering and they call you and like, oh yeah, good luck trying to figure out how you're going to pay your rent next month. I'm like, what? That's crazy. And so I use that stuff to be better Mm. because I'm never going to let a security guard ass motherfucker act like he's better than me. I won't say anything to him and I've wanted to. I don't, but I know that downtown LA is a very unique area. And I know a lot of times, another thing is they're not even smart enough to make the distinction. You can't even look at a person like me or a person like Tokes in the streets and say, oh, he must be about his business. No, it's just, if you're that simple-minded to only be able to see skin color and that's it, that's another indication that you are stupid. Like your level of thought is black or white. Children can understand color. Children understand this is a red square. This is a blue square. So your decision-making skills are on the level of a child. If you start making your your ranking of a hierarchy on the terms of color, and I'm going to beat you every time. I'm going to kick your ass every time. I'm going to work when you're not working. I'm going to build what you're not building. I'm going to put in the time and the energy and effort to do it. We compare ourselves to 50 and 60-year-old white dudes. We are killing those kids. 
anybody who's our age, we're shitting on them. The only way that they can even really say that they're better than us is if maybe they went to a different school and even that shit is fake. Oh, you went to Stanford, you went to UCLA. That shit is fake. They paid for you to get there. You didn't bust your ass to get there. You didn't work to get to where we are now. So therefore, the energy and the effort and the ingenuity that I had to put into actually accomplishing and making something of myself, I look down on these people every time. Like, y'all employees, y'all sheep. I built this. I'm here because I pay the bills, not because somebody pays the bills for me. And I'm going to continue to grow and continue to stunt and continue to hustle. So I use it to become greater. It exists, but I'll never let them beat me. I'll never let them say, oh, um, I'm just better than you. So just exist in that betterness. No, no, I got work to do. Security guard ass motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Sound like Samuel L. Jackson, huh? Bar. I got that double slide, man. I had to try that one up for myself. Security guard ass with book. <laughs> you know, I had a couple more tweets that was one to go over, but I think can we get one more? I like I like hearing the tweets that you that you pulled out. Pull out the best tweet. We'll go in on that one, and then we'll call it a night. All right, before before I go into this this last tweet, I'm gonna ask Toke something mm. that that relates to it. You were saying earlier, like way early in the in the episode, you know, you working your way up at the bank, you getting all you working hard, you getting all these promotions, boom, 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 you are moving up. But then at the same time, you you got your MBA and you got your first house. What you what would you say is the key, or more than one key, for being able to? keep achieving goal like multiple goals like around the same time like you know it, it pays to focus but in life you, you got different things going on anyway so mm-hmm. what you say is the key to like be hitting how you able to hit big goals like that like around the same time and not not fall off man i i think about that sometimes too to be honest because when i think about the time that and the effort that i was putting into all this all these things at the same time i was in three basketball leagues <laughs> and i'm just like when did i have the time to do this But really, when you set the goal, you just got to work at it is what it is. And I think part of what I have to say, one of the the benefits from school is that it gives you a structure and you have a goal in mind when you start. You know that this program should be this long. I took a little bit longer because of my my working uh, schedule. But it was like I knew that I I had I had a goal in mind that I want to be finished at this point in time. Um, while I was getting promoted, hey, if I'm in the space where I'm wherever I'm at, I gotta go 100. I can't. I can't be like, oh, I'm in school, so I'm going to take it easy right now. What does that mean? I got to go 100% now because I'm in this space. If I'm in this room, I'm giving you my 100%. I'm not going to wait for you to give me the opportunity to say, oh, well, oh, you can go 100%. No, I'm going 100% now. I'm going to outshine everybody now. Um, I think that's just my competitive spirit of, you know, wherever I'm going to be, I'm going to give my best and I'm going to shine in that, in my, in that light. And then, um, you know, I'm buying the house. To me, it, it's, it made sense. So it was like, do I keep renting? And because I, I was renting my whole life, obviously, I was re- I rented so many different places. I'm moving every year, every every two years. You know how stressful that gets to. I, I used to move so well, I can pack up my whole house in a couple of hours. <laughs> no boxes, throw everything in blankets and whoop, whoop, tie it up and throw it in the whip. You know, I and I, I had to, I moved eleven different times, eleven in Southern California. So it was just like, does this make sense? I'm not building any equity. I keep having to move. I don't get to determine, you know, certain things. You know, then I, because I rented a house before I bought this house and it was cool. You know, I I had a driveway, had, you know, a big room, had a couple of roommates and I was just like, 
I am managing a property pretty much because the roommates were subletting. Right. I'm, I'm managing a property and paying this guy's mortgage. Ooh. I'm not getting any money for this. Oh, so I started looking. Yeah, and I'm starting looking. I'm like, okay, this is his. This is the mortgage. Can I get a mortgage of that amount and manage it myself for me? So it was just. It was about just changing my mindset because, again, I wasn't even looking for the house at that time. I was, it was just school and and work, and I was just focused on that. But then I just, it's like, yeah, I'm paying $2,200 a month every month for this mortgage, and I got to collect my roommate, my my rent from my roommates, and I pay the landlord. And it's just like I'm not getting it. Like I was there for three years, and those three years, I think that property went up in value like almost two hundred thousand. Um, because the street was like it shot up at that point in time. And I was thinking, like, this guy got all the equity. When I leave here, I'm leaving with nothing. So maybe I might get my de- deposit back. So I just I just put the switch, is really what it was. It, you know, when it came to school, when it came to it's like when you set all these goals, it's a matter of did you turn the switch on? Are you working at it every day? With school, you don't have an option. You gotta work at it. You have to put the time in, or else you go to fail. I hated failing. So it's like I'm I'm putting that time in. When it came to work, I need more money. So whatever I got to do to get that promotion, I'm doing it because I need more money. What you're paying me as a personal banker is not enough for me to live a comfortable life. It's not enough for me to thrive whatsoever. And then when it came to the house, it's like, I'm tired of paying this guy's mortgage. So I got to do, I got to, I had to change my mindset. And then once I had the goal, the only thing that can stop you from your goal is yourself. You know, we can make every excuse in the world of who's not giving us the opportunity or why we can't do this. You know, one of the things I hate hearing the most about working in the bank is when black people come to the bank and say, I can't get a loan because they don't lend to black people. You can't get a loan because you have to learn the rules to get the loan because you can get the loan. I can show you step by step of what you need to do because I did it. You know, when I was learning how to build credit and I was like, okay, so I built my credit. Now what do I do? Well, you can buy a house. You can buy a house. Okay, well, let me get pre-qualified. When I got pre-qualified, it was like this. I told two of my friends to get pre-qualified for their house because they were there. Again, it's like buying a house is not really that hard the hard the hardest part is the things you have to do prior to buying the house you know when your credit is established you go to any bank say i want to get a pre-approval okay let me run your credit where do you work at here's your pre-approval amount you get that in 10 minutes 15 minutes maybe 30 because you know they have to talk to you a little bit you take that to a realtor say hey i'm pre-approved for this amount okay let's look at these houses they find a house you put an offer in if it gets accepted like i said for me it took a month to me for me from looking to closing escrow because it's not a really it's not a difficult process to do it's just that we have told ourselves this is difficult we have told ourselves this is unobtainable we have to do so much in order to buy a house what you have to do is just change your mindset and start the process this is really about starting and then once you start it was just like pledging am i going to quit because it's hard ah no i can't quit i already started i gotta i gotta see myself through this because if i quit then i'm gonna feel like i failed i don't want to feel like i failed no matter what i do so it's just about changing the mindset and putting the effort putting the work in it um speaking of pledging um five eight sigma is a non-hazing organization. However, I would say that one of the things that's unique about me, Tokes, Gary, and Antonio and Chris is we're friends, but we're friends because we made it through something together. And so it's not like we just met each other and we just some homies like, oh, you are in the same proximity as me, DeAnthony. We cool now. Like, no, we're friends because we started a process that was hard. It was, it required a lot out of you, but on the other side of that process, it determines what you're made of. And so that's why we all do well in life. It's not because we just some N words who just decided that we want to rock with each other. Like if you look at the demographics of our college, a lot of people who start don't finish. A lot of African-American men who start don't finish. 
but we made a commitment to finish. Same thing that we did when we were pledging. We made a commitment to get to the end. And so I knew, because quite honestly, after my first year at college, I was like, I might just go to a JC and just stay close to home. But I was like, nah, like I want to, I'm trying to be out. I'm trying to live life. And then two years and then three years. And now, you, you know, you're doing your thing. But I think it's important. They always say to, to find friends who will share a future with you, not a past. And mm. so it's like we're friends who we've is bigger than just that. And I think that's why we still maintain that connection. I have people that I've worked with who like it's not a strong connection and they're cool people and they might be lawyers. They might be bankers. They might be business owners. But we ain't been through nothing. We haven't actually like been through the fire. It came out on the other side. So I don't even know how real they are. I don't know what they're made of. But I know that Tokes is about that life and, you know, vice versa. And so I think that's interesting. And that's a good point. Raphael, what's the last tweet? It's, it's getting late. My son's already asleep right now. Yeah. But my wife is not. The last tweet was going to be, you can't do uncommon things and have a, well, it's actually not a tweet, but you said on the Instagram live, you can't do uncommon things and have uncom- and have common thoughts. Um, so we have this office here and it's so funny because people will see the office and they'll be like, oh, okay. It's this, it's that. But it's like, no, like this prepares us for the next step. I'm already looking at let's we get in a bigger space. We need even more space. You got to take a step and to get into the direction that you want to head in. But I had that thought because the lady who cleans the office, she came in and she was like, oh, so you got the second space too? And I was like, yeah. And I thought that it's crazy because she sees me and she comes in here and she sees me running this business and now growing this business and I'm potentially looking to even grow it even more. And like Toke said, you walk into a room, you're the only real African-American person there. Like there's not a lot of people who are doing what I'm doing. They exist, but not in California. Not in Southern California. It just it's just rare. But I'll I'll get online or I'll talk to people and they'll hear the way that I think. And they're like, this dude is retarded. This dude is insane. He's voting for Donald Trump. He believes that uh immigration is killing back jobs. He believes blah blah blah. Like this dude is nuts. And I was like, Well, if I thought like you, I'd have what you have. If I thought that we were oppressed and we're victims, I would have what you have. If I thought that we can't ever win, I would have what you have. But I don't think like that. And that's why you look to me and you're like, that dude is killing it. And the same thing that like I tell my family members, like you guys all admire what I'm doing, but you wouldn't do what I'm doing (laughs) to get to what I have. And so when you share your thoughts, when you share your ideas, people are going to disagree. They're going to call you crazy. They're going to call you out of touch. They're going to say that you're wrong. They're going to insult you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to tell you it's not possible. And a lot of people would stop. They'll say, damn, they must be smarter than me. They must know more than me. But I've always just had so much faith because a lot of these ideas, they're not original ideas that come from the mind of Charles. What happens is I read these books and I listen to these podcasts and I watch these these movies and I watch these documentaries and I figured out the life that I want to live. I figured out the things I needed to do. I figured out how I wanted to go and what my mindset needed to look like. And then I run across people who haven't read the books, haven't listened to the podcast, haven't watched the documentaries, and they're like, this dude don't know shit. And then you go on and you accomplish your goals. I got a long track record. I, I tell people, I've been doing this. I didn't just start building shit. I didn't just start taking action. I didn't just start creating things. I just started doing it for myself now. I started doing it for my own brand. I was telling Marlene, I was like, I saw what I did with the friend. I was like, can I do it for myself? Let's see. <laughs> I really was like, man, like I created I, like all these different things we were putting out there and promoting. I was like, I want to see if I can do that for myself. I want to see if I can create a following for myself. 
I want to see if I can put on events for myself because unfortunately, sometimes folks don't appreciate it. Sometimes folks going to hate on it. And so I was like, if I'm going to do all this work, I better at least get something out of it personally. I don't just want to be throwing all the money in the chapter account and I'm out there hustling, doing all this stuff and getting criticized and getting hated on. Like, let's take this in-house. So I forgot what the tweet was because I just went off on a tangent, but hopefully people <laughs> got some value out of that. And yeah, what do you got to say about that, Tokes? Um, well, it was about, um, you can't do uncommon Un- things by having common thoughts. Um, right. and it's extremely true. And if I would have had common thoughts, I wouldn't have done the things I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't have been a, you know, a branch, you know, one of the youngest branch managers, the only male black, uh, branch manager. I wouldn't have got my MBA at the same time. would have bought my property. Cause I would, a common thought would have been to, you have to do, you, you, you're not there yet, or you have to wait until everything lines up and everything has to be perfect. And I didn't mean, you know, if I wasn't thinking about that at that time. I was thinking, I want more for myself. I want more than what's expected that I'm expected to have. I want more than the people who said I couldn't do what I what I couldn't do what I what I know that I can do. You know, um, people could if you live to people's expectations, um, you live to their limits. You're only cheating yourself because there's no difference between you know Charles and Damon John, and there's never been a difference. The only difference was when Charles said he turned it on for himself. Um, you know, it's about thinking differently so you can see your vision come to fruition. And if you, you know, if you think about what everyone else, like, what are most people doing? They're, they go to their jobs, they, and they live for the weekends to get drunk and go to brunch and take a couple of pictures. And that's not going to get you to the, what you want in life. That's going to get you comfort. And you're going to be around a whole bunch of people who are doing the same thing. And trust me, I was one of the people who were out there doing that a lot as well. And then I started think, start thinking like, I don't want to do this for myself. You know, I wanted, I want something different for myself. Even so one of the things I even did was I stopped drinking like completely and people were like, Oh, what happened? What happened? I just thought I have to do something uncommon to push myself further in order to, in order to grow myself. And a lot of this thought process came from, so at the same time when I did all the, you know, I got the branch manager and MBA and all that, I fractured my neck in a basketball game and I lost all the mu- muscle function in the back left side of my body. And, you know, I was at a, you know, a stream disadvantage. I was still, still a branch manager. I got audited, I think, two days later at my branch, um, my annual audit. And I always just told myself afterwards, mind over matter, mind over matter. Then I started thinking, how can I push my mind even further? Now, when I'll tell myself I can't do something, then I will do it. Because it's like, I told myself, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to see if I can stop drinking. Like, I can't do that. So I made it a point to do it because I wanted to do something different and see where that can take me. See, where, you know, where that, that can take me spiritually, where that can take me emotionally, where that take me mentally. Um, you know, then I started doing other things like intermittent fasting, you know, because I was, I used to ask Charles, I used to eat all the time, huge meals. And then I was like, well, intermittent fasting, now I'm only eating in this window. I'm like, I can't do that. Yes, I can. I can do that. So I have to change my thought process and say that I can do this, even though if I tell people, hey, I'm only, I only eat in the window of eight hours a day and I don't start my window until 3 p.m. Oh man, you miss breakfast and lunch? Oh my gosh. So if I would have been doing the same things that makes them comfortable, you know, eating the same things that make them comfortable, I'd be fat. I'd be out of shape. You know, if I, if people, how do you work out so much? How do you get, 
if, if I did what they were doing, I would be where they are. And it's like, in order to do something different and the things that you want in life are different from what the, your peers and what everyone else has. You have to think differently. You have to think outside the box. And let, the box has only been created by your own confines. It's not create. It wasn't created by anyone else. There's no box literally around you. So what's stopping you? So do the uncommon to get, do the uncommon. Don't have common thoughts and, you know, just see it through. I feel like the most interesting thing about that is um, realizing that your goals matter because people will they'll entertain like a debate or a conversation with you and they just they're aiming for something way different and they expect your mindset to align with their mindset. Like you're aiming for survival. I'm not aiming for survival. So therefore, I must make moves that consist with me thriving, me excelling, me existing in abundance. I'm exi- I, my I'm, my aim is abundance. Therefore, I'm taking actions that align with abundance. Mm. That's why we work on a Saturday evening. That's why we might be working tomorrow. Um, and I think that that's the most important thing. And I think that that would actually be where we should be having these conversations because in the environment and the climate that we're in right now, everybody's sharing their opinions about who's going to be president. Who is that? The question is, what's your goal and what does that look like? Oh, I think we should get people to be nice to us. I think that um, we, whatever, whatever that looks like, I'm more concerned with what we're aiming towards because I know what I'm aiming towards. And if we don't have the same goals, we shouldn't be even having a conversation in the first place. Like buff people don't talk to fat people and ask them for advice or allow them to even speak into their life. They're like, fat person's like, yeah, well, I normally eat jelly donuts. Like you just sound crazy. So when we take it out of like money and success, we actually understand like the disparity. When we look at like exercise, we look at sports, we look at those things where you can see something that might be more common or less common or more understandable. You can realize that it's really the mindset of a winner versus the mindset of somebody who's just existing. Raphael, is that the show? That is the show, man. Take him out, man. So we want to thank our special guest tonight. Totes, you can follow him on Twitter at underscore R-A-W-A-L-Y-A-L. Y-A-L. Y-A-L-T. You can follow me, Raphael, at Work Money Life on Twitter. Follow Charles on Twitter at Todd Billion. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow Charles on Instagram at Todd Billion. And also follow Todd Capital business page at Todd.Capital on Instagram. Shout out to the advertisers. As always, uh, the sponsors, Todd Capital. You can find all the products at ToddCapital.co or look in the links in the show notes. Also, shout out to Pure Body Company. You can find the products, the natural body care products, all vegan, no preservatives, all natural at shoppurebodyco.com. Shout out to Invest as a Team, the official home of generational wealth, where you can get the ever popular You Can't Fire Me, The Boss t-shirt at investasateam.com shout out to Okieffa Shades get your shades you don't we don't we don't need Ray-Bans anymore Okieffashades.com that's O-K-I-Y-E-F-A shades.com and shout out to Get Lace Laces because premium cakes need premium laces so get your, your premium laces at getlacedlaces.com I'm going to leave you guys with one last thought from Charles. Remember, it's a perfect day to make 100K. Episode 73 of Tweet Talk, the Black Welfare Podcast. Be your co-host, Rafael and Charles, the special guest, Tokes. We are out. 
show. Yes, sir. What's good, Tweak Talk Podcast listener? This is Donald, the voice, the official editor and producer of the Tweak Talk Podcast. And so I want to come to you to tell you I'm doing a 50% off promo. That's right. I'm slashing the price. It's 50% off. Donald, why would you do that? Well, it's because, doggone it, it's quarter four. And I know some of y'all are ready to get ahead of this 2021 momentum. And so I'm here to help you. So head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. Go over to the contact tab. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at DonaldTheVoice. Mention this promo. And let's begin talking about your podcast editing, video editing, or voice over editing needs. That's all I got to say. 50% off. Let's get it. Let's go. Have a good rest of the day. Keep building, baby. Keep building. That's what it is.